0: How are we doing, Summer Church? Good. we good. Glad to be back in the house. Oh, kids, get out of here. Leave. All the parents looking like, yo. All right, I'm just going to get up and walk. And just, I'm not being disrespectful, but I got to get them up out of here. Or you can tell me. All right. All right. My name is Dante Cook. I'm one of the elders here at Soma Church. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, I know uh, that a lot of us can't be with us this morning uh, for different reasons, right? Some for sickness-related. Some for taking precaution for others. So I'm glad that the people that are here are here with us this morning. Uh, Hebrews 10:25 says, "Let us not forsaking in meeting together." Right. So let's continue to press in and meet together. But if we're jumping back into church this week after needing a bye week from your in-laws, wherever you're at, welcome. Um, about 28 of us last week had a wonderful time gathering, fellowshipping, worshipping together. And I was hey, the people here, it might have been less than 28. I'm going to be real. Um, but that's all right with me because the word says we're two or more gathered. I'm here also. So God is with us, was with us last week, and is with us today. So if you need to catch back up, please go back and listen to the podcast from last week. We're going through a series on First John and diving into what does it mean to have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ and with one another. The podcast starts a little muffled. So not only do I look like Bane, but I sound like Bane. I'm like, you merely adopted the darkness. I was born in it, you know? That's literally what it sounds like the whole time. Like I'm in a cave and I'm an evil, but it's okay. Pick it back up on last week's teaching where we introduced John. And John was in a, a, part, uh, an elite, a part of an elite group of disciples. So there was a group of disciples, Peter, John, and James, that had unique access and fellowship with Jesus that the other 12 even did not. They were on Jesus when he was on the mountain when he was transfigured. They saw God speaking with Moses and Elijah in his transfigured form. They saw God in all of his glory and his glory to come. They were with God when he went to heal Jairus' daughter when they brought her back from the dead. Only those three, right? They were with Jesus when he was at his lowest moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? The, the, the place where the olives are being crushed, Lord, because they, they, Jesus asked them specifically to pray with him, to be with him in that lonely time. But it says, even of that elite group, five times in the Gospels it says, John was the one whom he... John had a unique access to Jesus. John was sitting next to Jesus and said his head was on his bosom. I don't know how Jesus was um, eating... With somebody on your chest, my kids do that all the time. I'm like, yo, I need space. Like, you want me to give you this little bite, but I can't cut with you on me at the same time. So John has a unique access to Jesus. And John, it says, in doing my research, right? of all the disciples that died, most of them were murdered or martyred, right? John died differently. It said he, he died of old age, right? That's what they said. John was actually the writer of what they believe chronologically to be the last three written books of the Bible. John, the Gospel of John, the three epistles of John, and the Book of Revelation. So John had unique access because he had to tell us something after all the disciples had passed away. The mysteries of God is what they talk about John revealing to us. So John has unique insight and access to God and what he's speaking to us. And one of the most important things that he's trying to convey to us in First John one through four, chapter one verses one through four, is that I have seen him, I have touched him from the beginning, right? When we were first revealed that he was Christ, He was the eternal God in the flesh. here for us to rectify and sanctify us and save us from our sins, I knew him, I touched him, I fellowship with him, and I want to tell you how we can have that same fellowship. not only with Jesus not only with God the Father, but with one another. And it says, the purpose in writing John, let's cover his intentions there. He says, now Jesus in verse, uh, chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, and this is the Gospel of John. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. His purpose for writing John was so that we would believe. That's not his purpose in writing First John. We went through that last week. Just a recap. His purpose in writing 1 John, 1 John, chapter 5, verses 13, it says, I write these things to you that you, that to you who believe, so it's people who are already believers, in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him he's alluding to john chapter 15 when he's talking about abiding in jesus he says if you do my commandments if you do these things anything that you ask of me and my father my father will give to you he's talking about abiding being in fellowship and he also states very explicitly in john chapter 1 verse 4 he says i'm writing these things to you so that your joy may be that your joy may be complete would know about the completeness of talking about that. So the whole book in a nutshell, he's talking about moving from the beginning of our relationship with God and hearing Jesus, calling him, receiving his call, believing in him as the only way to salvation and being justified to sanctification, which is having surety, having surety of our eternal life by being in fellowship with God the Father and Son of Jesus Christ, the helper, through the helper that Jesus refers to in John 14, 15, 16 and 17. So one of the things that I also said last week, recapping before we dive in, a lot of the things that he's speaking about, a lot of the things that he's talking about, he is interweaving teachings that are like literally one-to-one in parallel with what Jesus is speaking to the disciples in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. Read it. It's uncanny. It's unbelievable. I was sleeping on 1 John. 1 John is packed with a lot of stuff. Okay? Okay. And so one of the other things that I talked about last week, again, setting the stage, because a lot of us are new again, um, is that this book is not to condemn you. It talks about six liars being in this book, five of which are believing Christians. And one group of liars is a group of liars that doesn't believe that Jesus is God himself. But it's a book that can seem very condemning. It's a book that can seem very legalistic. But that's not the heart, and that's not the purpose, as we're diving in, as we're digging in. So, Jesus wants to have fellowship with you. John wants to communicate that Jesus, the creator of the universe and the maker of your soul, wants to have a relationship with you. And that's my prayer for this morning and throughout this series. Overall, just as an overall cast, that we would move from a God, a view of God that feels condemnation, to a view of God that is looking to and feeling invited to eat at the table with Jesus and have communion with him. Fellowship and relationship with him. Let's pray really quick before we dive in Lord we thank you today for allowing us to gather here To meet as members as ordinary people as sinners Who don't always walk in the light Lord? to Confess with one another to connect with one another to worship corporately together to be reminded of our brokenness in light of a holy savior together and to press forward, walking arm in arm alongside each other towards our sanctification, towards our glorification, Lord, that it says in 1 John chapter 3 that we will look like you, Lord. When you appear, Lord, the real versions of ourselves appear, Lord. We long for that day. In the midst of our daily brokenness, Lord, in the midst of all of the hurt and things that we are uh, receiving from other people, that we are... Giving to other people, Lord, we confess, and Lord, we know that you are righteous and you are faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us for all of our sins, all time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let me grab my Bible. Here, really quick, I have one little homework assignment for you all, because I've been using one of these Bibles for like six years, um, because it helps me to try to like at least Grab the pages and things that you all are reading out there really quickly. And so I have like underlines and notes and some of them. If you want to open up a Bible around you, if you see one with some like notes and underlines and stuff, it's the one that I use. So if you wanted to slip that to me at the end of the service, that would be great. But it is just a black Bible. So like inevitably it just got swept up. That's why your parents always say, put your name on the thing, put your name tag on it. I don't even listen to my own advice. Okay, our reading today. We're going to be reading in 1 John chapter 5 through verses 2, or uh, to chapter 2, verse 2. Let's dig in. In our black Bibles, I believe this page 1021, that's what it was last week, that's a change. God's word is the same, Remains the same. Huh? Uh, it's a living living word, but not that. Oh, okay, I got you, got you, got you, got you, got you. Yeah. Oh, the word just walked off the page. What the? Trying to read and pray, Lord. The words are not here that you showed me yesterday. Okay, we're gonna start in verse five. Oh, thank you. you. That is it. We. Oh man, thank you. Oh man. This is a this is lifesaver. No, this is good. I, I mean, I, always, I read this again. I told you guys about my, I've learned so much from Mark Batterson, uh, but one of the things he always says is like, pray with a pen, read with a pen. Um, he said the longest pen, or, or the shortest pen, is longer than the, uh, than the longest memory, OK? That's one of the things he says. So I underline, I read, I write a lot. So thank you for this. There's so many nuggets in here that I would have been really sad to lose forever. If we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us my little children I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous so we're gonna be breaking up this teaching into three sections the foundation Who God is. And it states very clearly, it says God is light. So we're going to be going through that and unpacking that. What does that mean? The application, okay, there's going to be two applications. It's going to be walk in the light. That's the first application. The second application is going to be don't claim, admit, and confess. Okay, and then the third piece where we land the plane is the assurance of the good news. Jesus Christ is your advocate. Share that good news with other people. Three sections, y'all be like, I usually float around, y'all don't know where I'm going. You got three sections today, (laughs) foundation, application, two points, and assurance, okay? God is like, in the very first verse in reading John, John is revealing who God is. It's an essential part about God's character. God is gracious, but nowhere in the Bible do we see it say that God is grace. God is merciful, but we never see it say that God is mercy, but in this book, he's revealing parts about who God is. He says, God is light. And in chapter 4 in this book, we also see that God is love. God is light and God is love. But God has been giving us clues about him being the light from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end. Genesis 1, verses 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be and there was and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. God from the very first chapters of the Bible is revealing something about himself in the void of the earth in the darkness of the earth, he inserts himself into that place and it said it's instantly filled with light as soon as he commands it and calls it. Let's go all the way to the back of the Bible, okay? Revelation chapter 21. Verses 22 through 24. And I saw no temple in the city. Who also wrote this part right here? John? Hey, 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 we're tying it together. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Jesus himself is the light which we will look upon in salvation. We depend upon the sun for everything that we have in this earthly form. But even the sun has dark spots. It says in Jesus there's no darkness at all. This is an even more perfect light, an even more powerful light, an even more glorious light than we experience now in the sun, which sustains everything on this earth. Powerful thought. Revelation 22, verse 5, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. In the Gospel of John, John says, in 319, he says, the light of the world, the light has come into the world. And in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John is being very clear about the foundation of, of who Jesus is, what Jesus represents. He's not only just something, um, he's not just um, someone to just reveal something to you. He is the very being in essence which reveals the truest things about you. He is the very essence of the things which reveals the truest things about you. And light is used throughout scripture roughly 200 times as a synonym for infinite holiness and purity and perfect righteousness. And God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. There's nothing in God but absolute purity, absolute perfection, absolute holiness. And you say, well, how can I, a guilty sinner, ever have fellowship with that infinite and holy God? I might as well give up. I'm going to be honest. I stand no chance. If he can discern every secret thought of our heart, if he sees every evil way in me, how can I ever have fellowship with him? How could I ever, being in darkness, have perfect fellowship and communion and connection with him at all? Okay. John is going to provide a way. Let's not stay in the hopelessness. Let's recognize the gap of perfect holy, perfect purity, and perfect... Um, perfection in God being light, let's recognize the gap. But let's not dwell in the gap. John is going to give us a way to move in the gap. So one thing that he is saying, though, if you will have communion and connection and fellowship with God, it cannot be in darkness. It must be in the light. If you want to have connection and fellowship and communion with God, if you want your joy to be complete, it must be in darkness. The light; It cannot be in darkness. So John isn't going to leave us there. John isn't going to leave us resting on verse 5. Then it runs away. He's going to give us the application. How do we do that? Verses 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So in scripture, we have this reality of full forgiveness of sins in the moment that we believe in Jesus. This is the past, this is the present, and this is forward through all eternity. There is a one-time receipt for all of your sin. It says all sins when it talks about in this verse, if you look at it closely. That's done as soon as we accept Jesus and we believe in our heart and we accept his salvation. But there is a reality of us daily needing to live and to walk in that blood and in that forgiveness, lest we believe that that grace was cheap. John chapter 13, let's flip there. I told y'all, whenever I preach, y'all are going to get arthritis or paper cuts. <laughs> Whether you got a physical Bible or you scrolling on the screen. But we're going to do this together. We're going to do it together. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who this dude literally always has something to say. It's crazy. He's about that action. Literally almost every scene that you have those three together, Peter is like stepping up to say something or to do something that Jesus always corrects him with. I love that about Peter. He's always about that action. Okay? He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you won't understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, right? He came to deny in the beginning. Jesus said, He's like, If I don't do this, you can't have he's like, All right, just go ahead and take everything. Like, go ahead, go ahead and get. Go ahead and wash all this down, Jesus. And then he said, um, Jesus said to him, the one who was bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. Okay. So the beautiful part about stepping into relationship in fellowship with God is that it says right here it says you are already clean you are already clean there's an eternal forgiveness of sins hebrew chapter 9 it talks about the mercy seat where the cherubim sits above it and it talks about the blood being on the mercy seat and before It talks about the sacrifices that used to have to be made and continually be washed off. And when that was washed off, what did you have to do? Go do another sacrifice. It talks about Jesus' blood in Hebrews chapter 9 forever being on the mercy seat, standing in the gap for us continually. It says, you are already clean completely. That's good news. But now we have to do our part. We go back to that that verse in John, where I think we get it wrong. It says, if we walk in the light, God is more concerned about if we're walking and where we're walking than how we're walking. I want to share that with you all today. God is more concerned about if you're walking and where you're walking rather than how you're walking, okay? It says, he that began a good work in you will finish that good work. God, the God who died for you, the God who saves you is going to bring about your salvation and your sanctification, okay? Okay? But I'm going to go through some loops here. We're, we're still accountable in this. Not just we live by grace. We just go on sinning and doing about whatever that we want to do. This message should resonate with us deeply if we examine our own lives. If we have a position as a teacher, who all is a teacher in here? Tons of teachers. right? We love our SOMA teachers. A coach, a parent, a friend walking with someone else in addiction. We give grace and show love when we see effort and faithful attempts to try to walk in the thing in which they're striving for. If you're a teacher, and it comes down to the final exam, and there's a student who hasn't been asking for help, who hasn't been trying, who hasn't been wanting to apply themselves, who doesn't have a desire to be better, to improve, that situation looks very different than there's a person who's committed to doing it. We see this even with our own kids. When we have our kids do chores around the house, like clean up the playroom, all right, we're never upset with them if they do a terrible job. Like we walk into the room, they're trying to clean the playroom, and the the floor is clean in the middle, but they just like throw everything up to the sides. It's a horrible attempt at what they're trying to do, but the grace and the effort to walk in what we've asked them to do is what we are looking for. It's our job over time to teach them how to correctly clean, how to correctly walk, how to correctly live into the things that we've asked them to do, into the commandments of God. From there, we lovingly come alongside them and help them do it correctly. That's sanctification. God the Father wants wants us to walk with him imperfectly. Now, if we're just walking repeatedly, In sin, and there's no sense of sorrow or sorrow of sin or desire to not repeat what you're doing, no longing, no frustration that you're doing what you need to do, no desire to confess, no desire to walk away, then you may need to go back and read John. You may need to come to that base place of salvation, of confessing your sin and having Jesus be. The sole source of everything that you're longing for in your life, because you may not be saved. But the very fact that if you have that longing, like Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do what I do, for I do, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. If you're writing that verse, if you're feeling that in your heart, if you're in that place where you sin and you read this passage about not walking into the light, this is shining a light on God's salvation being in your heart because we naturally says in God there is no darkness at all we naturally on our own accord do not want to do good do not want to eliminate and eradicate sin from this world do not want to improve on how we treat others that is, that is something that the helper that Jesus talks about in John 14 that he gives you that he convicts you and he lovingly pushes you towards that I'm going to give us a little template for that as well. And it says, one of the things you have to understand is that once you're born, then you're a child. And once you're a child, you're a child forever. That's a fact that you can't undo. You may choose to deceive yourself and deny that truth to walk away, but you are a child of God. As I was studying for the sermon, I listened to a pastor, Rob King, who said, there will be many miserable people in heaven that will get to heaven one day and say, man, I didn't even think I was saved. We're just going to be like, "Nah, bro, you was just miserable. You were just bitter your whole life. Live into the reality of your salvation. Wouldn't be a sermon sermon if there wasn't a Disney reference. But Simba living in the jungle with a meerkat and a warthog doesn't negate the fact that he's the king. It doesn't negate the fact that he's a king, the rightful king. He needed fellowship and people close to him to help him realize that fact, which is where we go next. How do we live imperfectly and gain the ability to walk in the light? That's the wrestle. That's the tension that we have. All right, let's read verse 8. This isn't going to be the actual application, but this is just going to be a little tidbit for me, right? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay. Not a ton of application here, but newsflash: you ain't fooling nobody. You, you ain't fooling nobody. If we say we have no sin, it doesn't say that we deceive in everybody else. It says we deceive ourselves. People are gonna look at you sideways. Like, which one of you men who are like married in the house can go to your wife and be like, mm, "Baby, I ain't got no sin." <laughs> now I don't know what you on, but me, no sin, right? Your MC knows it too. If we've been walking in MC with each other for five years, six years, seven years, people might say some things like, "Yo, Dante, every time you come in here, you leave all of the cabinets open." <laughs> you don't laugh. That's <laughs> the. My my MC, my friends come over and they give me a really hard time. Your stuff stinks. Don't be delusional. Be real. That's what our generations want these days. Leadership tip, right? This is in leadership class, Business 101. Don't politic. Don't cover up the truth thinking that the people that you are serving won't be able to handle the weight of the stress of the numbers and the things that you're about to tell them. Be real, be vulnerable, and you'll gain much more influence in what you're doing. That's a side tip. Second application, verses 9 and 10, don't claim, admit, and confess. Second application, don't claim, admit, and confess if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us that is a very serious thing uh, calling God a liar like it's so funny like Even, I just always use this, I don't know why, for as a parent, like when your kids like try to come to you and say, like, oh, like you're like, like, you little person are about to get some wrath of daddy. Could you imagine us, mere mortal earthy humans, that we know all in our own heart and our own mind where and how we've fallen short? That if somebody made a documentary about the deep depths of our heart and our life, And they brought it out to life and they put it on the Netflix that we could come to a holy and just and perfect God and say God you a liar not me that would be literal insanity the truth would not be in us let's guard our heart from doing that let's guard our heart from doing that how do we do that let's daily confess our sins it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Let's daily confess our sins. There are things that we, need to, that we do daily that we need to confess to God. And everyone talks about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a template. The Lord's Prayer is a framework. The Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. No, 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 no. God, I'm a sinner. We already know that. We already know that. You would need salvation if you weren't a sinner. Please don't state the obvious. We have to dive deeper into the framework itself. Lord, forgive me not for not honoring you before men. Because your word says, if I don't honor you before men, I will not honor you before my father. Lord, forgive me for not treating my body as a temple. Lord, forgive me for walking in lust. Lord, forgive me for doing this thing for specifically. Lord, forgive me for thinking about how I could make more money and gain more earthly possessions and lay lay up treasures for myself that moth and rust will come and destroy. Instead of thinking about laying up treasures in heaven for you to use. Let's be very specific when we daily confess and not just blanket over everything. Second part of that, as as we forgive those who trespass against us. Okay. One of the things that's like, it's very awkward and it's very easy to just leave like in our virtual world. I work remotely, virtually, with a lot of different people. And somebody could do something or say something, like in a meeting, and it's so easy now to just like dish it off and never you, you never have to like confront it ever again. Like at least in the office, that awkwardness and that tension would like manifest itself by like when I see you coming, I'm just gonna go the other way. We don't have that in a virtual world, right? We can just turn off our camera. We can hide. We can be on the other side of a screen. One of the things that I think that we need to do as Christians is when we are confessing daily, right, we should take that time. We should take that moment. Lord says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So one, there is a general confession of, hey, Lord, this is how I think you potentially wronged me. But you may not solve it all in that day or in that moment. It may be reaching out to that person to schedule a coffee two weeks out or three weeks out. And then when we get there, we're going to dive in specifically into, hey, I think this could create some tension into us. Here's a gap that I think it may cause, and here's how I really felt when you came in my neck on that meeting two weeks ago. And I really wanted to address that. One of the things that it says here is it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Confessing our sins not only brings us in right relationship with God, it brings us in right relationship with each other. James 5, 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I want to pray with each other. I want to confess our sins to each other. I want us to have that vulnerability, that community, that connection so that our joy may be complete. Here's one book that talks about doing confession in community. I've talked about this book a lot. It's real thin, real simple. Um, It's called Life Together by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, It says, in confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him and the more deeply he becomes involved with it. The more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person This can happen even in the midst of a pious community. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. All that is secret and is hidden is made manifest. It is a hard struggle until the sin is openly admitted. But God breaks gates of brass and bars of iron Since the confession of sin is made in the presence of a Christian brother, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. One of the things that I think as I've been going back into this and reading Revelation because John wrote, wrote both books is either we bring our sins to God for salvation initially and then to each other continually or we bring them to God all at once on judgment day either we bring our sins to God initially to receive salvation and to him and to each other on a regular continual basis or we bring them all at once on judgment day you're gonna bring your sins to be atoned for. It's where and how you do it and the freedom that you live from as a result of doing it. Don't do it before it's too late. We're all gonna have to do it. Okay. Couple more points before we get into assurance and I'm closing down here. Denying our sins is, is part of what it means to walk in darkness. Confessing our sins is part of what it means to walk in the light. Denying our sinfulness cuts off the fellowship with God and with others, and confessing our sins opens the channel of forgiveness and cleansing. We confess from our salvation, not for our salvation. It's evidence of what's already true about us. So one of the things that I'm trying to reframe, again, how and why I do things. We confess sins from our salvation and not for our salvation. The reason that I read the Bible is not so that I can't be saved. The reason I read the Bible is because I'm saved. The reason that I confess with you is not to be saved. The reason that I confess with you is because I am saved and I want his blood to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. The process of sanctification is this. The longer we walk with Christ in the light, the holier he makes us. The more awareness we have of our sins. Holiness doesn't blind you to the sin. It just makes you more aware of it. The longer we walk with Christ... Hopefully we're not sinning more, hopefully we're sinning less, but we will become even more aware of the things that we didn't think were sin. That's what holiness does to you. I need to start digging more into his work a little bit, but if you want to learn about confession and someone who was deep on confession, Martin Luther was fanatical about confession. The longer he walked with God... He talks about the longer and the more time he spent in confession, in very specific confession of his sins, sometimes hours and days of just being in confession. That's one thing that I would like to read. If anybody's got any Martin Luther stuff, does anyone have Martin Luther stuff or like really steeped in Martin Luther? Okay. Okay. Martin Luther people, I'd love to speak with you after the service. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to our last two verses to finish here chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 my little children I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous he is the propitiation of our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. One of the things that um, he's saying right here, he's saying, obviously, don't sin. Like in, the willingness, like, in your willingness of your heart in your desire, because it does say in several parts in scriptures, I think it's 2 Thessalonians 2. Those that continually walk in darkness, God harden their heart. There are examples of willful choosing to walk in darkness. I think that's what John is getting at here. He's saying, hey, you have the opportunity to walk in the light or walk in darkness, don't sin. Don't sin. Choose the light. Choose the right path. But He is giving us assurance. What we talked about earlier, that God is more concerned if we're walking in the light and that we are walking in the light where we're walking than he is how we're walking because he is faithful to complete the work of sanctification in our lives. As we continually confess and bring those things to each other and bring those things to God, God is faithful to blot out all unrighteousness from our lives. Romans 8 actually is uh, the greatest chapter, I think, in talking about living with the Spirit. Uh, It was actually one of the, um, the words of encouragement today, 1 through 39. Read the whole thing through, talking about life with the Spirit. And the Spirit convicting us to walk in righteousness, but not condemning us or separating us from the love of God. Okay, really powerful chapter, really powerful book. Okay, one of the last things uh, that we want to talk about here, um, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. One of the things that I love um, going through this book, two points we read about last week, John is showing us how to have a richer life and that our joy may be complete. But John is saying that indeed our fellowship or that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John is continually communicating last week, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that to have right relationship with God is to have right relationships with people horizontally. So it's a very inwardly focused thing as he's talking about us walking in the light, But at the very end here, it says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. You're called into relationship with God so that you can be a blessing to other people. So that you can share the template for how to confess and how to walk in humility and vulnerability. And one who knows that their stuff already stinks to other people around you, that other people may grow and gain in the process of sanctification and knowing God right? Confessing and cleansing ourselves from our sin, walking in the light is not only a benefit for us in our relationship with God, but our relationship with us in our community. So let's be people that walk in the light. Let's be people that don't claim to have it all together, that admit and confess. And let's walk from freedom. Freedom that we have the assurance that if we do sin, not if, when we do sin, that Jesus is our attorney. It says that Jesus is our propitiation for our sins, that we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus isn't going to fight for you on behalf of, he's not going to your boss. He's not going to uh, some other person out in the world, some king. He's going to the Father to advocate on your behalf. Let's walk in that freedom and let's walk in that assurance. Hopefully that fuels us to be more vulnerable, more open, and more free. To just be okay being in our sin. But not okay that we're going to stay there. Okay that God is going to fulfill and be faithful to complete the good work that he started in us. Amen? Amen? How we believe in that every week, how we recognize that every single week is through our acts of communion that we do together. It is a physical act. It's a ritual act that we do together to remind us of the sanctification of our sins is a weekly process. But the blood of Jesus, which we take and we drink from every week, is to remind us that Jesus' blood is on the mercy seat. That his blood paid for our sin For all time. So every week we come and we confess the sinfulness, the brokenness that we have before our Father. Knowing that he's just to forgive if we confess. So every week we take of the drink, which represents Christ's blood, and we drink. We also take... Christ's body, which was broken for us, so that we might be in relationship with God, that He paid the penalty of sin for us and for all time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to gather here today, that you are God. who came down to earth to show us your love, who came down to earth to be the representative for the penalty that we should have paid. And God, you send us a helper to help us grow in our sanctification, to help us grow in our communion and in our fellowship and our connection with you, God the Father, with God the Father, and with you, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would be a community, that we would be a church, that we would be a people, Lord, that walk in the light, That people would see our good works and honor God as a result. That people would see us being a community that's humble, with our knees to the ground, with our arms out open, saying, forgive me for what I've done. Forgive me for falling short and walking in freedom in a way that inspires other people to join into that. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this group. I thank you for our MCs. All around the city, and our leaders that are leading them, Lord, I pray that 2022 would be a year of deeper rooting, of deeper connection, of deeper unity with one another, Lord, in a world that is becoming more and more and more divided, Lord. That the image of a group of people from different backgrounds that know that they're messed up, that know that they're broken, come together every single week and walk together believing that, God, you will make us whole. That when you appear, Lord, we would appear in our glorious state. We thank you, Lord, that you're our light, that we would walk in your goodness all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.